0: All right, and we are joined by Ira Naiman,
1: and this is Cosmic Dragon. Ira, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. It's kind of a home and away thing, right? You, I interviewed you on my podcast, now you're interviewing me on yours. Right. It's that, yeah. <laughs> quid, I don't want to say
0: quid pro quo because I've been hearing too much about that <laughs> in the news. Uh, but they're uh, not always bad. Uh, but yeah, they're not always bad. That's right. It's like Anything else, Um, it can be used for good or evil. Uh, So we are here with Ira. And uh, so what is your official title with Amazing Stories? Are you editor-in-chief?
1: I'm just the editor. I mean, we were kicking around the possibility of managing editor, but um, I don't necessarily need a grandiose title. Editor is fine. And so amazing stories is back after being away
0: for so long. Um, of course I myself grew up watching the show um, as well as as reading the stories that uh, Steven Spielberg you know did the television show. So what mm-hmm. caused the re emergence of amazing stories?
1: Well that's really down to uh, Steve Davidson who is the uh, publisher of the magazine. He is just a super science fiction fan. When he discovered, oh, maybe a decade ago that the name Amazing Stories was available, he uh, scooped it up. Uh, The story that he told me was that his only competition was a uh, Canadian travel magazine that for some reason wanted the Amazing Stories name to talk about, you know, amazing stories in travel. So we're all thankful that they <laughs> they let that lapse. That would have been bad. That would have been bad.
0: Um, Every science fiction fan and
1: across the universe just would quiver. I I could see exploding heads. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and he he, as I say, he was a huge, huge science fiction fan. It was always his. Dream to get the uh, to get the name so that he could reconstitute the magazine, uh, and it just so happened that uh, about a year and a half ago, he, uh, myself, and uh, Kermit Woodall, who is the art director, um, just decided to. Uh, the time was right, and I saw the uh, very first uh,
0: issue, the WorldCon uh, exclusive. And uh, that came out in uh, August 2018, wasn't it? That's correct. Yep. Yep. And uh, lots of great authors. Um, And I'm not throwing my own name in there, although I I have been featured in the magazine. Uh, The art is fantastic. (laughs) So with a magazine like Amazing Stories that has such a legacy and such history, obviously you wanted to harken back to that, but I, I'm assuming you wanted to do things differently. But what, what was the plan and what was the,
1: the big idea as far as bringing it back? Oh, God, I could spend the whole half hour just talking about that. Um, a large part of it was, yes, we really want to continue the legacy of Hugo Gernsback, who was the founder of Amazing Stories uh, over 90 years ago. Uh, but at the same time, Science fiction has moved on, literature has moved on, frankly, and um, the sort of writing that he championed was not really writing that we would uh, want to read today, frankly. Um, So we had to sort of accept that we wanted to do something pioneering the way he did, um, but that would also be something that a modern audience would want to read. So that was kind of one of the early touchstones for us. Uh, The three principals, Steve, myself, and Kermit, uh, we uh, started talking before we ever put out an issue about the kind of magazine we wanted to produce, and one of the things that uh, we very early came upon was that we were all uh, kind of brought up in the 60s and 70s when Uh, Science fiction had a much more positive spin and, uh, you know, there were a lot of futures that were portrayed in science fiction that, you know, we'd really kind of want to live in. And when we looked at the science fiction landscape um, of today, what we found was a lot of uh, dark apocalyptic visions and not a lot of hopeful stuff. So uh, to recreate amazing, one of the, the, uh, another one of the touchstones was certainly that we wanted it to be much more hopeful, much more positive, and frankly, much more fun. Um, the term that I have heard uh, within a f- the last few months, which to me is kind of an oxymoron, but I'm really kind of getting used to it too, is uh, hope punk. Yeah, hope punk. And, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Knew it had to be. And so <laughs> we were doing Hope Punk before we I even really knew that it was a thing. Um, and so, I mean, and the thing is that it's also about just within sort of that framework, uh, the best writers and the best writing that we can find. And now as editor, uh, what... I know you probably get this
0: question all the time, but I'm going to ask it because everybody wants to know, especially aspiring writers, is that what is it about a story that
1: makes you want to buy it? There are a lot of things. And um, one of the things that I I should say just before uh, I get into them, into details of them is that one of the things I've really discovered is that Uh, A magazine takes on the personality of the person who is editing it, so it is absolutely valid to want to know what that person likes and what that person is interested in. Uh, I will say in my other life as a writer, uh, I am primarily a humor writer, so I put a very big value on humor. Um, If you want to get a sense of the kind of humor that I like, the, the easiest thing would probably be to read some of my own writing. Uh, which is on the internet. So I'm I'm not necessarily trying to sell anybody anything here. Um, <laughs> hey, shill away. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of what I'm looking for, uh, one of the things that's really important to me is an individual voice. And this cuts against the grain of what a lot of writers are taught, because a lot of writers are taught um, to get rid of anything that might be specifically personal to them Uh, and for me that's kind of deadly Uh, if i can read a story and i can think wow a half a dozen or a dozen other people could have written this story i'm not going to accept it if i read a story and it's like only this person could have written this story that is a big 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 plus for me um so those are a couple of things Uh, i do we are very keen on um getting underrepresented uh groups into the magazine uh stories with heroes we don't usually see heroes or heroines i guess we don't usually see uh whether it's people of color people with disabilities um you know those stories uh will also have an appeal to me um, so, you know, you put it all together, uh, stories with unusual protagonists, protagonists with, uh, a strong authorial voice and humor easy, right? That's Hey, for some, Hey, you know, for some people, they
0: will hear that and they will say, you know what? I have exactly that. And you may end up with a larger slush pile, uh, <laughs> because of this show, but uh, hopefully good content and good and good writing that you find. Uh, I used to read slush and that's how I kind of approached it was just like, well, I, I just know if it's something I'd like, um, but you're very eloquent. And, uh, it, it seems like you've been asked that before, uh, because that's a very honed answer. I don't know if you just, you know, improvise or said, you know, spoke from the heart, but, uh, I really appreciate that because I can't really answer that question because, uh, I, I like certain things, but, um. Then there's so many extenuating circumstances that that throws me off about a story. It can have everything I want. It can have jetpacks and, you know, the cookie monster. And (laughs) those are the things I'm looking for. But but uh, yes, I like your answer.
1: Um, Moving on. (laughs) As it it happens, I haven't been asked that question before. So, um, well, but, you know, keep it. (laughs) Thanks. I I overthink everything, so. Um, that's just me.
0: Yeah. I, but that you've, uh, you've given me some homework because it's very easy to describe my own novels, but it's a lot harder to describe other people's novels and why are particularly ones I like and why I like them. It's the why that I have trouble answering. So I'm going to have to do some introspection on that.
1: Well, I used to do book reviews. Um, when I was an undergrad, actually for a couple of years, I volunteered at our community radio station at the university and I hosted a book show um, where I did a lot of writer interviews and a lot of book reviews. And actually when I started with Amazing Stories, I was doing book reviews for, um, for the website Amazing Stories. Um, and so I'm just Again, I'm just overanalytical about these sorts of issues.
0: Oh yeah, but that's that's
1: I'm sure very much appreciated by your by your peers <laughs> <laughs> and the people you work with. Well, um, I hope it's appreciated by the writers. Right when I give feedback, it's um, you know it's well thought through. It's not yes. just oh you know I didn't like the character, make it nicer or make it more less nice or whatever you know, the, the kind of generic shit that's just not helpful to writers. You know, some people I have heard argue like, well, why do I need an editor?
0: As dumb as that sounds. <laughs> but, <laughs> and it it's t- it takes a different mindset. Um, I know that there are writers who could never work as an editor. And I know editors who can never work as a writer, you know, being a hybrid as yourself, it, it, I think it's tough. But But having that editor's mind is, is a rare skill set, and you have it,
1: apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, you know, to answer that question, why do I need an editor? Well, you know, the, the common saying is that no story is ever finished. It's just let go. Um, right. And the truth of the matter is that there are always things that could be improved uh, in a story always uh, and so what you need frankly is another set of eyes you need somebody who wasn't invested in the version you have to help you make it better. Um, I don't as an editor I'm not one of the I'm not the kind of editor who dictates changes um, with me it's more of a conversation right I right. think it would be better if you did this. But the writer, ultimately, because it's their name on the story, they can say, well, no, I, my argument for doing it the way I want it to is this. Uh, and if they make a reasonable argument, that's fine. Um, but it's always about making the story the best story it can be, right? And uh, I will agree, there are some editors who, uh, who uh, in, oftentimes are also writers who... Um, Instead of trying to get the story to be the best story the author can make it, they actually want to rewrite it so that it's the best story that they could have made it if they had written it. Uh, and my response to that, when I hear stories like that, my response is always, well, then just go and fucking write it yourself. Don't, <laughs> don't put that on an author who is trying to do something else, right? right. So, I mean, you know, I hope, and, and I have had some good feedback on this, but I hope, you know that the writers I have worked with um, understand that I have respect for what they're doing and I'm not just trying to, to, to to remake their work in, in my own vision. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, I think a good editor uh, gives suggestions in a way that the author doesn't just, you know, paint by number and just follow orders, that kind of thing. But actually, understands what the editor is trying to say uh, and takes that information and then does their own thing to correct an error or, or they, they just use it and, and implement it themselves. And I think a good editor says that in a way that they can, they can respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and heck, I, I try to remember how much you edited my story and it doesn't seem like it was a lot. Um, and all of the suggestions were, just obvious. And <laughs> I, 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 Hey, I need an editor cause I flub on some stuff that, and I go through the book like three times and still I miss stuff. Oh
1: yeah, for sure. Everybody does. Um, so here's the thing about that though. Uh, when we first opened for submissions, which was after the first issue came out, uh, the first issue was all invitation only. Um, after we opened for submissions, on the first day of submissions, we got 250. By the end of a week, we had, uh, I, I think, over three or 400. We had a lot of submissions. Wow. Within a year and a half, we had over 2,000 submissions. And what that does for me is it allows me to pick literally the cream of the cream of the crop. Right. So the stories that we published um, I didn't have to actually choose any stories that had fundamental, uh, character problems or plot, uh, plot problems. Right. Right. By the time I get to choose like, um, well, of those, you know, 2000 stories, we publish maybe 40. So that's one in 50 or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, when I get that level of, um, uh, of, uh, choosiness um yeah. i can choose stories that are already the very best and so yeah in most cases the stories did not need a lot of uh, a lot of editing uh and certainly not major surgery oh yeah because you you had such a, a pool to uh, to draw from mm-hmm. it also means that um we could take stories from uh, minorities, we could take stories, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm very proud of is that we have gender parity. There are an equal number of stories by women in each issue as there are by men. Um, That's brilliant. And we can do that without a loss of quality, because if I've got, you a know, hundred stories an issue that are good enough to be in the magazine, um, and I can only choose, say, 10, That means that I can make a a choice, a conscious choice to make sure that half of that 10 are by women with no loss of quality whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, I think it's important because I think, you know, a lot of people who uh, are kind of for the status quo, one of their arguments is that the quality drops if you need to um, have quotas of certain types of people uh, represented. And my argument is, nope. Don't have to have quality drop even a little bit.
0: No, not at all. That sounds absolutely fair, um, honestly. Uh, that's a great
1: idea. And Are, are you guys the first to, to do that? I can't speak for any other magazine. I don't know. Um, the first of, I've, I've heard of it personally, so. Well, I think, you know, I mean, we're getting a lot of uh, minority writers winning awards now which I think is a great thing. Uh, A lot of female writers winning awards now, um, which I think is a great thing. Um, So clearly uh, other magazines and other publishers, um, if they don't have exactly the same system, nonetheless, they're still willing to support minorities and women. So uh, I I do think that that is a positive change in science fiction that's happened maybe in the last 10 years.
0: So as far as the job of editor. When you're not reading submissions or typing up notes and things like that, what, what other duties uh are you having to do day to day?
1: Well, um we're a pretty small organization. So I mean, uh I've been involved in uh the Kickstarter and raising funds. Um, We all, the three principals are all uh, working on um, promotions. I'm doing as many podcasts as people will have me, you know, things like that. Um, I should mention that we have a a new line of uh, paperback books coming out. Actually, this may be one of the first times that this has been made public. Uh, They're going to be called Amazing Stories Selects. They're going to be uh, novellas, and I'm delighted to be able to say that the first four are going to be by Alan Steele. They're going to be a new um, Captain Future uh, series of interconnected novellas, which eventually, I guess, will be published as uh, novels. The first one, uh, fingers crossed, will be out uh, this month. It will be Um, a a reprint of Captain Future in Love, which appeared in the first and second issue of Amazing Stories, but with additional uh, fictional material that will set up the rest of the novellas um, and with some background material on the history of Captain Future. Um, And possibly we've been discussing uh, in future issues or future uh, books of... um, having some of uh, Hamilton's original Captain Future stories reprinted so that people can get a feel for um, what attracted Alan to these stories and these characters in the first place. So that's uh, very exciting. I've been working on that kind of in between issues of the magazine. That's fantastic. No, that's amazing.
0: Uh, Hey, I say... (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's that
0: was the perfect <laughs> verbal alley oop if I've ever heard one. Um, <laughs> no, that that is amazing. um Also, I I don't think I've told you this, but so I've been playing around with Facebook ads, mm-hmm. and just you know, reading about it and implementing stuff. I did a promotion for the Gernsback machine oh. uh, for our our episode where you interviewed me. So I don't know what the numbers look like, but if there was a spike <laughs> when it first came out. Uh, hopefully my, uh, my ad promo stuff worked.
1: Oh, thanks for letting me know. I'll check that out.
0: Yeah. I got a lot of people looking at, it. I don't have the exact numbers, but it was a lot. Um, but one thing I did notice in doing it is that I selected a, a, an audience who liked obviously science fiction magazines and, And there weren't as many as I would have thought there were. So that leads me to this. It's a scary question, um, but one you've probably been asked before, is that where do you think the status is on fiction magazines in general, obviously, but especially science fiction uh, magazines?
1: Well, one of the things that I found really disheartening uh, a couple of years ago, Indigo Chapters, the biggest chain, biggest bookstore chain in Canada, um, stopped selling uh, Amazing and Asimov. Can't find science fiction in the mainstream bookstores anymore. Science fiction magazines, which is somewhat depressing. Yeah. Um, we were told, we were warned. It's it's not a good time to to be trying to revive a, a print magazine. Now, granted. Um, we have an advantage that most magazines don't, which is of course yes, we are uh, by name if if in no other way connected to the TV series uh, right. stories. So you know we have kind of avenues of promotion that uh, might not be open to other magazines or certainly uh, we will have a name recognition once that uh, once that TV series starts to air. Um, and we do have, alternate sources of revenue like uh the selects which hopefully will will take off um and now of course we also have um you know kickstarter and those kinds of uh ra- ways of raising money so you know we hope that we will be able to um keep our alternate alternatives going while we slowly build our subscriber base We'll see how it works. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My dream is to keep the magazine going until at least 2026 so I can uh, put out a, a 100th anniversary issue. Hey, that's a good goal.
0: Very reasonable. But I think, I mean, from what I'm hearing, you guys are are, are trying different things um, and and really attacking it from every angle. So I definitely wish you uh, success. I'd love to be featured again in the magazine. I'll get with <laughs> you about that uh, later. <laughs> uh, but let me ask you, um, what are books that are your personal favorites, but maybe also books you think that every fan of science fiction needs to read, and especially an aspiring writer uh, is, is, who wants to write science fiction uh, and, and or fantasy? And uh, what are the books that you would recommend? It could be any number.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting because I'm not, uh, and and people hate when I say this, but I'm actually, my favorite books are literary fiction, not science fiction per se. Right. Um, I'm a huge fan of, say, Thomas Pynchon, uh, who wrote Gravity's Rainbow and Against the Day. I'm a huge fan of... Um, Uh, Oh, I'm blanking on his name, but he wrote to Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Um, If you want a a grounding in science fiction, the best place to start would be the classic science fiction of the 50s and 60s. I call them the ABCs, Asimov, Bradbury, and Clark. Um, But the thing is that, um, particularly in the last 15 or 20 years, The science fiction as a genre has really fragmented. So you've got a lot of writers uh, doing lots of interesting things, but uh, maybe not with the audience that uh, an Asimov or a Clark used to be able to command. Uh, Not a bad thing. Um, You know, uh, the um, uh, Nora Jeminson's trilogy, very highly... um, awarded and deservedly so um if you want to see what other people are doing like people who have not traditionally been represented she's a good place to start um uh the author of the three body problem whose name is escaping me again but uh chinese science fiction um also very interesting there there are a lot of things being done in other places in the world uh, that are really worth following up on um, so there you go see the thing <laughs> is the thing is as i mentioned earlier right i am not a big fan of uh post-apocalyptic scenarios which you know there's a lot of uh a lot of um alien invasions uh, a lot of Robo Apocalypses, all of this stuff. Zombies are big again for some reason, um, and I don't read any of that stuff because it just doesn't interest <laughs> me. Right? So, right. you know, the main what seems to be the mainstream of science fiction um, is not what I'm personally interested in. So, it's not what I would personally recommend.
0: Well, that answer is definitely refreshing. Um, heck, I, I mean, we talked about uh, Thomas pinch on uh mm-hmm. in our interview for the Gernsback machine and uh you know you know who got me started writing it was Hunter S Thompson there you go you what know an
1: influence
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know some people out there would hear that and go yeah that makes sense now um
1: <laughs> i maybe i don't know well here's uh, the thing right <laughs> so how do you develop a unique voice as a writer well, one way of doing it for sure is to take an influence from outside of the genre you're writing in and incorporate it into your writing. That is, you know, one very clear path to doing something uniquely you. Yeah, because uh, Hunter S.
0: Thompson, w- when he got started writing, he would sit down with um, one of, uh, oh, what his name? Hemingway. He'd sit down with a Hemingway book. And just type it out to see like how he his vo- how he used his voice in the writing, and then obviously he, he found his own voice. Um, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> hold on, Ira, I'm still in the podcast. Thank I you. Know I no, I'm good. She just uh, opened the door with a plate of ribs and a baked <laughs> potato, and I was like, "Well, that yeah, I'm gonna eat that here in just a minute." <laughs> Oh, I'm keeping that in the, uh, in the podcast.
1: The, the joy of life <laughs> recording. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: uh, but, uh, yeah, he would sit down with a, a Hemingway book and, and type it out. I remember. Um, and I don't think I write like Hunter S. Thompson, but he is one, somebody for some reason that, that I look to and kind of look, I, I love, uh, learning about his, his career and his life. Um,
1: well, absolutely. Too. The thing is that you should take those outside influences as influences, but ultimately you have to make them your own. If you were yes. writing like Hunter S. Thompson, people would like yawn and say, okay, we've already had Hunter S. Thompson. Right. We don't need him. We but need- you can use that extract, that juice. Yeah. And absolutely. then put
0: it in a vial and then take a little bit over here from, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> And then the and just writing, mix it, and then and then and what? Who? What do? Because that's the thing, is that, and that's why so many writers recommend reading, is because that's how you find out what you like and what you connect to.
1: My theory is, uh, my theory as a writer is that we start by imitating the writers that we love, and then we start mixing and matching elements from different writers we love, and eventually we come onto something that's uniquely our own. Absolutely. Yes, that's true, and it's and it's
0: honestly, I is constantly evolving. Still, um, I don't think anybody really, well, maybe some people, but I don't. I don't I'm not going to find my uh, permanent voice because I'm am constantly
1: changing as a as a person. Well, I think yeah, uh, because you know, if you did sort of say, okay, this is my voice, this is my area then essentially you'd be writing the same novel over and over again, right? I think right. we always have to be challenging ourselves as writers to um, to do different things. That's, that's how we grow as artists. Mm-hmm. Well, I do, in terms of writing what you know, um, I think it's important for the writer to make an emotional connection to what they're writing. Um, and so some of that is certainly going to come from their life, but... Honestly, what do we know about living on Mars or living on a planet that, you know, is so far out, our astronomers haven't even seen it yet, or living in alternate universes, which is kind of what I write about. I mean, part of what a a large part of the writing process is to apply your imagination to what you know. Um, And so it isn't going to be quite like reality or any reality that anybody can point a finger to. Um, and that's okay. I'll also say just in terms of write what you know, that to me is like an important impetus to do research because you can know oh, a whole yeah. bunch of stuff if you actually take the time to learn about it. And that's, that's why, you know, um, uh, well, frankly, a lot of science fiction falls down because people aren't interested. The, the writer is, clearly hasn't been interested in the science to get to know the science properly. right? Um, But it's also just, you know, a failing of a lot of literature that you try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but you don't really learn what their life would really have been like. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, you can know a whole bunch of stuff. Research. Right. It's a good starting point. Mm hmm. Ira, we're going to wrap things up so, <laughs> so I can at go eat some ribs. Said, <laughs> at the moment you said it's a good starting point in my head, I heard, and a good ending point. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll wrap things up there.
0: Uh, we definitely okay. want to let everyone know that Amazing Stories is back. If you didn't already know, which you should. All right. This has been uh, Cosmic Dragon with Ira Naiman. We're out.